0: Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. We'll take each church and note what they did good and what they did wrong. In all but two churches, there's a, their commendations. That means he's praising them for what they did right. And then there's condemnation, telling them what they did wrong. And then he adds the consequences to their bad behavior if they don't change. And so as we go through these letters, let's remember that this, these are to people that, con- that make up the church. It's not just to a building or a congregation, but it's to individuals. The first one is to the, to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth most important city in the Roman Empire at this time. And Paul spent more time there than any other place. He established the church. I had the privilege of going to Ephesus a couple of several years ago, and I was amazed. Even though it's in ruins, you can see the marble floor, the marble streets where Paul walked, and you can see the, the beautiful columns, and you can imagine the splendor of the city. It was a seaport and the caravans from the east had to come through Ephesus to get to Palestine and to Syria. It also had the temple of Diana, and they worshiped her as a goddess. It was a very evil, evil place. Prostitutes hung out at the temple, and yet Paul walked in there, and when I was there, I couldn't imagine. He just walked into the city and stood somewhere and started teaching the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. And people believed, and they formed little groups that met in homes, and that's how the churches started. And so we'll take the first letter, I mean the first church. It's one letter to seven churches. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things. Saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is, this is the person of Jesus Christ. And the right hand is always the place of honor. I know when we lived in Washington, and we used to host dinner parties for high-ranking officials, and you had to be very careful who you put at the right hand of the host. It was a Big faux pas if you put the wrong person there. And you chose them as to the rank in their service in the government. And so it was a place of honor that, that Jesus holds the seven messengers to the churches. And I believe that as a messenger to a church or anybody, we are responsible to be sure we speak the truth. And he holds those messengers in his hand And walks among the seven golden candlesticks, which we saw is a picture of the body of Christ. The goal, which is God, beaten Jesus' death, that we might be in Him, He might be in us, and we might be the light of the world. And then we have the commendation in the next verse. He says, I know your works and your labor, I know your patience. And you don't like those that are evil. You've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and you have found them to be lies. So they scrutinized everyone they allowed to have a leadership position in the church. They worked with patience, they were diligent to do what they were supposed to do. They did it for his name's sake, and they didn't faint. Verse 3. Even though they grew weary, they kept going. That's the commendation. Now in verse 4, he says, nevertheless, I have something against you, because you have left your first love. And I want to emphasize that God is, is not as interested in what we do as the motivation for what we do. I think we live in a culture that's very do-oriented. We stress, what are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing for His sake? And something inside me rebels against that. If God is God, and He knows everything, and He owns everything, and He controls everything, what does He need me for? It's a great privilege to allow Him to use me or for you to use you, and it's a wonderful thing to bring glory and honor to His name through your life, but we have to realize that He uses us because He loves us, but we need to remember what He's done for us, and we need to do what we do because of our love for Him. I've often thought a lot about, how do you love the Lord? You you don't really see Him. You experience His presence in you, but how can you love Him? And because I'm so selfish, I really believe that our love for Him grows when He does for us. I'm amazed that I find it offensive to people when I say Jesus came to this earth to serve us, but that's what He did. Oh, He was god And he was to be glorified and honored. But he came to live a life to set us free from the bondage of sin. And how wonderful it is when we have the privilege to confess our sin, be forgiven and cleansed and free from it. And he does that for us. There's no way we can have a clean heart apart from him. And when you're angry and bitter and jealous and selfish, I don't care who you are or what you possess, your power or your possessions, you don't enjoy it because those sins eat at you on the inside and you seem to be never satisfied. And I think to focus on the gift that He provided for us, you just have to love Him because you say that He did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And then when you have a terrible tribulation occur or trials in your life, to ask Him to give you peace and to comfort you in them, and He does, how could you not help but love Him? I always go back to my marriage. I loved my husband He was a man of fine character, and never once did I lose respect for him. But the more he did for me, the more I loved him. And I don't mean that he spoiled me, but he protected me, and he really did not spoil me. He saw that I had what I needed to be the person that he wanted me to be, but he didn't lavish me he just was a a stalwart in my life and the the more i could trust him and look to him the more i loved him and that's one reason when he died it was it was a hard thing for me because he was gone and he was the one that i looked to for so much and so we need to start concentrating on what God did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what are the advantages that we have in time as one of His children. Then He says in verse 5, Remember where you fell. Go back in your life and try to see at what point did you put works over your love for Him. There had to be a point where you suddenly got more involved in what you're doing than who you're being. And then he says, repent. You got to go back to where it happened. And the word repent means just change your mind and don't do that anymore. And do the first works or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of this place except you repent. Oh, the church will keep going, but it really won't be a light. And I don't mean to be critical, but I've been in churches. I've traveled a lot and spoken in many churches, and I've been in those that are full of activities and full of busyness, but there's no love there, and there's no real concern for the hearts and souls of others. It's just what they can do, and they seem to be proud of, of their works more than what is happening in their heart. Then he says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans was a set that came from an apostle or a deacon, rather, not an apostle, whose name was Nicholas. And Nicholas thought that the men should rule the church. Now, men do have a responsibility in the church, but their first responsibility is to teach the Word of God and apply it and encourage people to use it in their life. But Nicholas formed a group of people that felt they had the right, because they were the deacons, to tell everybody what to do. No man has a right to tell anybody else what to do unless they quote the Word of God as their direction. And God hates that. He hates when men come in and try to take over His work. And then in verse 7, He says, He that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says unto the churches. Who has an ear? Everybody has an ear. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Over in First John chapter 2, verse 2, we have an important verse. Who is he that overcomes? He that is born again of the Spirit of God. If you are a child of God and you have been born again, you are an overcomer. And it's not based on your good works. It's based on your faith of what he did for you. So, to him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life. This tree is mentioned three times in the Bible. The first time it's mentioned is in Genesis And it is in the Garden of Eden. And I have been told, though I can't back it up with a verse, that God put Adam and Eve out of the Garden because He did not want them to live in an eternal state of disobedience. So He removed them from the presence of the tree of life so they would not eat it. They disobeyed and ate of the tree of the fruit of good and evil, and now they know evil, and God put them out to spare them from the fruit of the tree of life. Now, here it's mentioned the second time: If you overcome, you will be allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Where is the tree? The third time it's mentioned is in the very end of this book, Revelation. The tree of life is in the new Jerusalem. And we will be free of sin. And we'll be allowed to eat that that fruit and live forever. It's in the paradise of God. That's the hope that we have in life. And so as we conclude this episode, remember... Don't put yourself under the bondage of what you're doing. Put yourself under the Spirit of God to let Him have freedom to work in you, to change your heart so that you can be the person He wants you to be. And never get in despair because the resources of God are available to you as His child and your future is so bright we cannot even conceive it. Once again, I conclude by thanking you for listening. And I pray God will bless you as he promised. Share this with others. Today is January the 1st, 2019. Happy New Year and God's richest blessings on you and yours.